I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? Yeah, I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast this Thursday, May the 25th, and we are firmly in rankings season. You head over to PFF.com. Pretty much every article up there right now is ranking something, some form, some position, some group. So the great Trevor Sikama from the NFL Stock Exchange podcast has come on today to help us uh, talk through some of our rankings, one of Trevor's and one of mine. How's it going, Trev? Uh, it's going great. Do you you feel like the ranking veteran? Like mm-hmm. it feels like you take a lot of the ranking articles that we have on the site cuz what you have what do you have quarterbacks, wide receivers, offensive line already out there? I just did running backs, which I know we're going to talk about today, but you've already you're already tripling my output on the ranking uh, on the ranking articles. Yeah, and obviously everybody agrees with them start to finish, you know. It's of just course. It's, yes. it's praise, yeah, right, nothing right. but praise, nothing but uh applause for the correct ranking being put out. No negative feedback whatsoever. No. Everybody Everybody loved, unanimously loved my under 25 article. Right. I mean, like some people said that it was the most perfect article that's ever been written. <laughs> I, I didn't get one single, I, I didn't get one single piece of paid from it. Certainly didn't get hate from Trevor Lawrence being number 18. No. I definitely didn't get tweeted about from the actual team account. That totally didn't happen. No way. Of course not. No, perfect. Um, so before we get into these rankings, uh, you're going to run your eye over our expansion team rosters that we did over the last couple of shows and give an unbiased take as to, you know, who won. So I've sent you both the depth charts. Interestingly, okay. you didn't listen to those shows, so you don't know which roster is which. So it's, no. really, a, it's really a blind taste test here to, to let us know who won. So I know... I knew you guys were doing this, but I don't know whose roster is whose. Right. And I'm looking at it right now. Okay, so for do you want me to just dig into it right now? We're yeah, doing this right now? Dive in, dive in, let us know your takes of each roster and uh, and who's got the better one. Okay, so I'm I'm looking at the roster where the logo is looks like a some sort of B or Hornet and it says N R. What does it stand for? What's a team name? Because that goes into this. What are we looking at here? Well so the the logo is the Hornets. I don't think I can give you the team name because it would probably give it away. Okay. All right. So all right. So we'll I'll get the team name afterwards. All right, we get Stroud at quarterback, Malik's back in the mob, not bad. Rashad Penny, nice. Dwayne McBride, Keaton Mitchell, okay, speaking to my heart there. Corey Davis, Marvin Mims, Josh Downs. I like this wide receiver group. This is nice. Oh, before I go any further what can you just give me really quick what the stipulations were so like we, what what yeah was with the protections and everything right so we had a uh, we had a, a listener put all the the legwork into this and effectively replicate the process for the expansion drafts for the Texans I think for the the Panthers and the mm-hmm. uh, the Jags as well uh, maybe a, a combination of the two of them but we essentially got given a spreadsheet with the players that had been exposed to the expansion draft. Um, okay. We're, we're going to put okay. that out at some point, try and tidy it up and kind of get rid of all the workings and stuff and put out there. These were the players that we had to choose from. The yes. expansion list of players was pretty rough. Um, oh, then we I went, believe it. Yeah. Then we went through to the 
draft and to free agency. Uh, free agency, mm-hmm. the, the rule was essentially we got to add five free agents where we could basically just gazump the teams that they went to in the NFL, add 10% to their cost, and, and that was our free agents. And the draft, we, we end up with the top two picks in the draft, real, and the top two picks, I think, of or the, the top and the bottom pick of X number of uh, rounds. So we each had a bunch of draft picks added yesterday. That was the, the final rounding out of the roster. Okay, okay. Now that now that I know that, that, that helps a little bit. All right, so that's the offense for this team. Offensive line, shoot. Orlando Brown Jr., Brady Christensen, Kevin Zeidler, Rob Havenstein. That's not bad for an expansion team. Defensive line, Amenahu, Derek Barnett, Javon Kinloff, Puna Ford. That's a good trench. TJ Edwards, as A. Simmons, has been king. Bryce Hall, TJ, man. Okay, this is this is a pretty solid team. I'm not going to lie. This this team right here, you got Derek Barnes as well, Joshua Williams. Looking at some of the depth guys now, Moro Ojomo, Darius Rush at corner. You got Darnell Washington as tight end too. Okay, this team's pretty solid. For, for everything that you would expect out of an expansion team, uh, this one... It's going to be tough to beat this one. I think. I, uh, I think this this is this is going to be a really good one. Do you want right. me to move on to the second one? Yeah, let's dive into to roster two. All right. So roster number two, the logo is a football helmet with what looks to be a crown logo. Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah, that's the old uh, the London Monarchs, the World League uh, football team from okay. the nineteen eighties okay. so or wherever they were. Bryce is the quarterback for this one. Mm-hmm. So, all right, that's a winner there. Roshan Johnson, I like. Who is who is Tim Demorat? Who is that? He's the Fordham quarterback last year. <laughs> that dude put up a – he went to the Shrine game, I think. I think I'm right okay. to say that was his bowl game. But he went to – he had a, an absolute ton of big-time throws um, and was, yeah, the Shrine game where I think he was solid enough during the week. All right, get him. Hey, look, get him on the squad. The guy knows right. how to sling it. That's fine. Wide receivers, you got Smith Susher, Mingo, Josh Reynolds, Des- Denzel Mims, Justin Ross, Jalen Darden. Okay, okay. I like that. That's not bad. Okweg Bunam. Oh, wow. What offensive line? You got Bakhtiari, Steve Avila, Bradley Bozeman, Sumelo, Mackay Becton. Damn, that's a better offensive line than I thought it was going to be. All right. D-line, Rashad Weaver, Zach Bond, DJ Jones, Neville Galmore, Marcus Davenport. Ooh, I don't love the secondary, but that's okay. I don't love the wide linebackers ever either, but that's okay. Man, this is tougher than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I thought I was just going to love that first team. I think... Team two probably wins simply because one, Bryce, Bryce Young's the better quarterback. So I'm going with Bryce anyways. Two, I think the offensive line, in theory, if all of these guys are healthy, mm. that offensive line for team number two is better. It's a deep wide receiver room. I like Roshan Johnson there. Comparing that to the other, yeah. It's closer than I thought it would be, but I'm I'm giving it to team two for the offense. And then the defense, I do like team one better but i don't think the difference between team one's defense and team two's defense is as different as the offenses so i would think that team two the one with the london monarchs logo is gonna win yes that's me oh is that yours i win i win 
Steve loses. Official. Okay. Done. Actually, you know what? I should have known that it was going to be yours <laughs> uh, because you knew so much about the so quarterback. The other logo is the North Reading Hornets, which apparently was a team Steve played for back in you know the late '60s or whenever it was he was playing. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would not have known that. So even okay. if you told me at the beginning, I wouldn't have given that, that. That would not have given it away. Does he have a rookie card? Does he have a you know like a, a Panini card for when he played? I don't know if he has one for the North Reading Hornets, but he's definitely got cards out there. If you search his name on uh, on Google search, you'll find like these eBay listings of like bulk batches of Steve Palazzolo trading cards. So they're definitely out there. I need to get one. I have to get one. But yeah, I think that I think that your team, your offense to me is just too good. So I would I would lean your offense in this exercise. I'm surprised you didn't like the secondary of the uh, the London Monarchs. I thought I did a pretty good job of the secondary. Like, maybe it's just aside, maybe, but you know, I I'm super worried about the safeties. Deron Bland was obviously nice this past year. Dean and JC Jackson basically like okay, if they're healthy, they're going to be really good. So I mean, if we're if we're Madden style turning off injuries, then maybe now that I'm looking at it a second time over, it's probably not as and we've it's got, probably not as deficient as I I, I thought it was. But I just depth. looked at the names and I was like. Mm. We've got some depth. Christian Benford was good last year as a rookie. Okay, Ojulia, sure. you probably don't want starting, but as a as a depth backup piece, he's pretty pretty solid. I'll give it to you. All right, all right. Second look, second look. I still like Steve's defense more than I like yours. All right, but that's fine. That's why you said I won. That's all I care about. I I'm, did. I'm I did. I'm not going to change anything. that. I think that you're going to win simply because you got Bryce. Not interested in anything further than that. I just take the W. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into to rankings. But first, we got to tell you that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by the great people at Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your expansion draft roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, one wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. All right, let's dive straight into quarterback rankings. Um, I think those okay. were the first of the position groups that, that went out there, lead, led off with the most important position. And so you can find the whole rankings over there on pff.com. I'm sure we might scroll through some uh, or have some graphics up as we go. I want to kind of focus on the key areas of debate where, at least judged by the pushback that I've been receiving. So I think pretty much everybody agrees Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. He's the gold standard. That's the guy that should mm-hmm. be number one. And to me, it was a clear top three before you get into the next group. It's Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow. But the debate comes in the order. So a lot of people are arguing that Joe Burrow should be number two ahead of Josh Allen, um, in part because, you know, he beat him. Uh, Also, you know, they've been to a Super Bowl. All those kind of uh, team-based measurements. Um, How would you rank those guys two and three? Again, it's like you said, there's a clear tier one. I mean, all three of these guys are caliber of players that you win a Super Bowl with, that you build an offense around, that you make your franchise quarterback. And so it always is very funny when you make these numerical lists, sometimes ranking one through four, you could basically be flipping a coin on every player, but somebody's got to be one and somebody's got to be four. And so that's where people really freak out about it. 
I'd probably have Burrow at number two, just looking at it and thinking about how I'd go through the exercise. I probably would have put Burrow at number two. Allen, obviously you talk about the success that he's been able to have, but pretty high in the turnover-worthy play category. You know, if there's ever a season where those turnover-worthy plays are obviously staying high because of his style of play, and yet those big-time throws aren't connecting as much as they were, say, like last year, then you're talking about a guy who isn't really catapulting the team as much as he was able to do with the major highlight plays. So it does worry me a little bit that Allen's style feels like just has more potential for variance to it. There are more negatives, but there are still a ton of positives. So I don't know if this is maybe making it the boring pick, but Burrow is just so steady elite. That just feels like that is what he is. Arm talent, of course, you're going with Josh Allen. But, man, between the ears and what Burrow does under pressure, I I think that I would barely give it out to Joe Burrow being number two. Yeah, I think they're both incredibly close. To me, the thing that I used to separate them was a couple of things. Number one, you're going to get into a got-to-have-it situation, you know, third and one end of a game, have to get the first down, have to keep the drive alive, have to keep the game alive. And on those plays, Josh Allen is basically impossible to stop because mm. he can make any pass in the book. He can run over a linebacker. He can run around a defensive back. You you can't stop him. Like you cannot assign, you can have the defense call correctly and you can have the player in the right spot at the right time and Allen will just make it wrong anyway. And that's such a valuable cheat code for that Bills offense that has come over, come up time and time again. And then that game where it was Allen versus Patrick Mahomes, you know, going toe-to-toe, back and forth, whoever had the ball at the end was going to win the game. And as it turned right. out, it was, it was Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But that sort of showed, I think, just the pinnacle of what he can be when he's playing at his very best. And as good as Joe Burrow is, I don't know if he has that. Like, I don't know if he can get into that rarefied air that Mahomes and Allen have shown they can get into. I don't know, man. I felt like certainly there were times last year and the year before when they made their Super Bowl run that it's like Burrow did show that, in my opinion. Like, I I felt like even through the back end of the regular season, I mean, the way that they went into the playoffs, they were hot in the playoffs for a reason. Um, And it's because Burrow was firing on all cylinders. So, I like, I, I mean, I'm not here to really push back too much on the points that you made. Allen is an unbelievable threat when he's on the field beyond just being a passer, you know, if you look at the the Bills offense and say, okay, this is a really great offense. And you figure if they're getting in third down situations, it's probably third and short. You know that this guy can pick up yards for you either with a QB sneak or it could be a scramble type of player if you don't have contain. And then of course, if you're containing him, you're taking a player outside of coverage. So the threat that he is, is, is fantastic. And, and like I said at the beginning, man, these three quarterbacks are the three best in the league. I don't think there's any question uh, about that. Although there are a couple that I do think are getting pretty close to that rarefied air as well. But um, somebody's got to be one. Somebody's got to be two. Somebody's got to be three. People are always going to complain about the guy who's number three when it's really more of a coin flip than uh, than the ranking would suggest. Yeah. Um, so then, as we said, that's your top three. Then you get a gap. Then there's the next guys up. I got quite a lot of pushback for putting Justin Herbert as high as number four. Um, and I think a lot of it, I don't even say it's not even recency bias. It's just like forgetting the context. Like, yeah, Justin Herbert isn't coming off a particularly good year. On the other hand, he tore rib cartilage last year. Now I've never yeah. torn rib cartilage, but that sounds like it would suck if you're a quarterback. 
no it does not sound like a good time and like i think that 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 certainly goes into it man and i know later on this list because I, I read the article you got dak a little bit lower than um than i would have had him and maybe we can get into that conversation if we get down to that point but like injuries matter Dak had a thumb injury that I, what did not affect him just in the timeline in which the games he missed. Like I think it affected him probably the, the entire season. Justin Herbert, I think those ribs were a big issue for most of the season that he played through. So right. again, one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league, somebody who when the light comes on, he performs at a level that is what those other three quarterbacks that we talked about can do. He gives you that type of ceiling. Now, has he been as consistent with it as those three players? No, that's probably why you would say he's at the next tier. He's at the top of the next tier. But, I, you know, you getting hate for Justin Herbert at number four, to me, that's probably simply coming from people who are trying to cape for their quarterback who might be lower than him, just a, few, just a little bit further down the list. But, I mean, when you watch what Herbert's able to do and how he plays the quarterback position and simply the arm talent that he has, it's hard to objectively say that you wouldn't have him as one of the top quarterbacks in this league. I also definitely think we're going to get some answers on Justin Herbert this year with Kellen Moore there as the offensive mind now. I, I agree that there has been you know, a little bit of something left on the table or, or meat left on the bone with Justin Herbert. He hasn't hit the levels that those other guys have or that we've seen he's capable of hitting. You know, the the game against the Raiders, that must-win type of situation where he's threading those absurd passes on fourth and nine to keep Insane. the game alive. Yeah, like some of the most ridiculous play any quarterback has had over the last few years. We know he's capable of that level, and yet – his average depth of target is really low. He skews towards that conservative end of the spectrum. And I think this year we're going to get the answer to how much of that is Herbert. Like inherently, yep. he just wants to play a little bit more tight, a little bit more conservative until he has to. And how much has been the offense kind of forcing him in that direction over the last few years. Um, yeah. my, in, my intuition is it's a little bit of both, but it's been more the offense and it has been Herbert over the last few years. And if that changes this season, then I think he absolutely justifies like the fourth quarterback in this ranking. No, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I, same thing. I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of what we're going to see from him from the offense this year because I felt like we were going after the Chargers' offensive philosophy and their offensive play calls all the time for, you know, putting this um, – <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the uh, – what the – what the analogy for would be for it, but you're basically just tempering what he could be. And that Raiders game was basically everybody being the LeBron meme, putting their hands out like this, see, like, this is what it could be. This is, this is what we've been talking about. If you just kind of let this guy loose. And so I'm hoping we get a lot more of that this upcoming year. I hope that he's fully healthy because if he is, I think his numbers are going to be comparable to some of those guys in the top three. No, I agree. Um, so the next one that I got a reasonable amount of pushback for, Aaron Rodgers at number five. Let me just outline my case before I get your take on it. I We're a year removed from Rodgers being back-to-back -back MVP, and the season that he just had was one that you could predict coming. It's almost the exact drop in PFF grade that we saw from him the last time he didn't have a number one wide receiver, back in 2015. His grade dropped from 90 in 2014 and 2016, to 75 in 2015. It's like the exact same drop-off when he doesn't have that elite number one wide receiver that he trusts. So 
it makes sense that we saw that season from Rodgers. I didn't see any real physical decline from him, so I don't imagine there's a, there's a reason why he can't bounce back to being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL with the Jets because the system will be one he's familiar with. Garrett Wilson will give him an elite receiver to play with. The situation around him is good. I, I don't see any reason why Rodgers would be worse than the fifth quarterback in the league. I don't know if I'd have him fifth. Um because I, I do side with you in in a lot of those points that you made, but I I I wouldn't have him too far down on this list. I think I'd have Hertz and Lamar above him. I do. I think that I'd probably have Rogers seven, um, and that's more, and that's more because I think that this year is going to be a, another year of him getting a little bit older. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a change of scenery. I think he's going to be good in in New York. I don't think that he's going to be bad or have this major aggression. You know, I was talking with my co-host on our podcast, um, Connor Rogers, who's obviously a Jets guy, and we were talking about Rogers and, and what we're expecting from him this year. And what I keep going back to is whatever you still think is left in the tank for Aaron Rodgers – I genuinely think we're going to get close to whatever the best version of that is because he seems really excited about being in a new place. He seems really motivated and, and I'm like, he's got good receivers to throw the ball to. I think that Garrett Wilson can absolutely be a number one. It's basically just about whether that offensive line is going to hold up. But I think Rogers still definitely should be a top eight quarterback on these lists, but of the guys that he's just barely above here, I can understand you're saying, hey, he's only a year removed from winning those back-to-back MVPs. I'd still put Lamar and and, and Jalen Hurts uh, above Aaron Rodgers just because of what those guys do in, in a little bit of the same light as like what Josh Allen does. When you get, get those guys in certain situations where it's third down, got to have it, the weapon that they are with their legs and, and how they can threaten the defense on so many different levels in those got-to-have-it situations – I just think he's really, really valuable. So I'd, I'd have those two guys ahead of Rodgers. So Jalen Hurts at seven was the next one that Eagles fans hated. You know, how could you have Jalen Hurts down as low <laughs> sure. as the seventh best quarterback in the NFL? And, like, the answer is because it's based off more than just last season. You know, like, Jalen Hurts last season was not ranked seventh. I forget where he was in our actual quarterback rankings. Let's fire that up right now. Uh, he was only sixth in that. No, that's passing grade. Sorry, he was higher. He was fourth in overall PFF grade. So the point being, there's already PFF rankings out there for last season. They're in the, the system. Like, they're the grades. So Jalen Hurts was the fourth best quarterback last year, according to PFF grade, behind that big three that we mentioned at the start, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Joe Burrow. But... We've seen more than last season for Jalen Hurts and for all these other guys. So if you believe Rodgers is going to bounce back to being at an MVP caliber player, Lamar Jackson was a unanimous MVP a few years ago. Justin Herbert, we just talked about why he could justify fourth overall. And then that big three, it's not like the players keeping Jalen Hurts at seventh in the list stink. Like These are either MVPs or players we think are playing at that MVP level in 2023. Yeah, this debate goes back to kind of what I just said, right? Somebody's got to be ranked seventh. Right. <laughs> You've just got a lot of really good quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I if if I if I was doing this and shifting it a little bit again, I'd have Lamar at five, I'd have Jalen Hurts at six, and I'd have um, Aaron Rodgers at seven. But you know, again, we're we're getting in a tier where I'd put Justin Herbert, I'd put Lamar Jackson, I'd put Jalen Hurts, and I'd put Aaron Rodgers kind of in that same bucket of guys that you want on your team as your quarterback 
with the game on the line, needing a big drive, wanting to build an offense around. I think all four of those guys are in that category. It's it's interesting because so these lists for when I'm writing them are sort of based off what I think is going to happen in 2023, you know, predicted mm-hmm. essentially rankings. So it's very difficult to figure out, will Aaron Rodgers bounce back? Will Jalen Hurts get better, worse, or stay the same? Um, will Lamar Jackson stay healthy? All those kinds of things. Trevor Lawrence, I think, is a really difficult one to rank because if you look from week nine onwards last season, Trevor Lawrence ranked, I think, third in the NFL in PFF grade. He was there with Burrow and Mahomes. Like, those are the only guys with a higher PFF grade than he had. And when you're sort of mapping, you know, putting the pieces in place mentally, like the jigsaw puzzle, that makes sense, right? It's like Urban Meyer took you eight weeks to get that off, and then once he's gone, <laughs> now Trevor Lawrence is becoming the generational sure. talent that we thought he was going to be. He's arrived. Yeah. Therefore, 2023, Trevor Lawrence is going to be you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and it all makes sense. Equally, it could just be this is sample size, right? He went on a run at the end of last season where he played really well, and he might not do that again this year, and we're talking about a guy that actually belongs you know, five, six, seven spots lower in the rankings. So Lawrence is super interesting to me. I I caught a ton of flack when I put out the under 25 list because I had Lawrence at 18. I tried to help you with that. I tried to save it. I tried. I told you you should push him up higher in the rankings. And I so that's look, it's on me. I've, I've got to be all right with it. And, and I am. Look, I could I have had him higher. Maybe I should have had him higher. Um, I had some people tweeting at me like, how is he not basically like number one? And it's like, okay, this isn't a build a franchise list. This is like the the best players objectively for their position and how well they're playing. So I think that me having him at 18, I did want to say that speaks to the volume of how good some of these young players in the league are already. I mean, all the offensive linemen I, that I had on those rankings, the wide receivers who have already arrived, some of the pass rushers, the corners, like there are so many players above Trevor Lawrence that have already had elite graded seasons. So like whatever their skill set is, they've already achieved those things and have been highly impactful. And Lawrence has as well. I guess I'm not like doubting how good he could be in the NFL. He's one of the most talented young quarterbacks in the league. I think he's going to have a fantastic year this upcoming year. But just going into this season, you do look at last season. I think he got better in a lot of areas. I think that certainly the Urban Meyer part of the equation here can't be denied. You cannot brush that off. I mean, it was an absolute dumpster fire. What he was trying to teach Lawrence was probably setting him back, let alone like not 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 even like not helping him enough, probably <laughs> making him worse, it seems like, given uh, the track record of, of uh, what we saw unfold during that time with Urban Meyer as head coach. So that totally goes into the equation. You have a stretch where you mentioned, I think, what was it, week nine on, you yeah. said? He was one of the highest graded passers. So if you start at week nine, you've got... Las Vegas, Kansas City, Baltimore, Detroit, Tennessee, and I'll throw Dallas in there too. So from week nine to week 15, he has some really strong passing grades. That is the strongest passing grade kind of chunk that he had. I I don't mean this to like totally take it away from him, but Las Vegas, Detroit, Tennessee, all three of those teams, so three out of the six, Bottom five in the NFL in terms of VPA per play against the pass on the season. Mm-hmm. Bottom five in the NFL. And the other three are, they were top 15, but they weren't, I think Dallas was the only one who was in the top five. So I don't mean to be super nitpicky, but when I look at that and I looked at 
kind of that last game that they had just to barely get into the playoffs, some of the turnovers that he had to open up the playoff game, uh, some of the turnovers that he had against Kansas City and his play against Kansas City as well. It was just like, okay, he's he's Lawrence is clearly getting better. He's a lot better than he was the previous year. He is definitely getting better. But I didn't have him higher on this list because I was less convinced that it's a he has arrived. Like he has totally achieved his potential. It's going to be all smooth sailing from here here on out. Um, I just looked a little bit at context and maybe I'm too harsh on it, but that's how I came to that conclusion. So with Lawrence being eight on this list, I would also have Lawrence a little bit lower. Like you've got Dak at 10. I'd have Dak higher than Lawrence uh, just at this point in time. So that's kind of the way that I looked at Lawrence going into the year and, and how I see him with rankings. Yeah, I mean, that's good context. Like those are the things you should be looking at when you're talking about, you know, is this run of grading a real thing? Is it a product of circumstance, all those kinds of things. The only other point I would make about that is, you're right, he faced some pretty bad pass defenses during that period. But three of his five best games in that stretch were against Dallas, uh, Baltimore, and Kansas City, who, okay, they might not be the best pass defenses in the world, but they're good. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, the extra layer of context, context on top of even that is two of those games accounted for five of his eight turnover worthy plays in that stretch, right? So he, even in those games where he was good, he made some pretty big mistakes, which I think is going to be a, a little bit of a theme of his career. Like, I don't think he's going to be at the very good end of turnover-worthy play rate. I think he's going to skew towards one of those higher variance type quarterbacks that make some mistakes in addition to the big plays and the crazy stuff that he can do. So I, I agree generally. I think he's a really difficult quarterback to slot exactly where you think he's going to end up this year. Um Let's get on to one more guy that I think is really difficult to rank, or not even really difficult to rank, just a very controversial one to rank, Jared Goff. Mm. Jared Goff came in at 16th in this ranking, which for certain Detroit Lions fans in my mentions is not a bottom 16 ranking in a 32-team league. But 16th for Jared Goff. He's now a player who got to a Super Bowl with the Rams, mm-hmm. was unceremoniously dumped off that roster and used as a make-weight in a trade. Like, he was effectively used in a salary cap dump. That's how much the Rams wanted rid of him. Um, And now he's succeeding again in Detroit, where, depending on the numbers you look at, Jared Goff looks like he's playing absolutely out of his mind, but his PFF grade last season was only 19th. He was 30th in big-time throw rate. There are certain numbers that you can look at that I think do speak to this more average ranking that I want to say people, rational people looking at it, all acknowledge, but there does seem to be a large vocal group of people that think Jared Goff is incredible. I'm not one of those people. But I also, like, I also don't think that he's, like, straight up garbage. Right? No. It's, it, it, you know, I, you know it, it's hard to separate Jared Goff from the situation that he's been in. Right? Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson. No, really doing his own. He's doing his own. He's arbitrating on the last year. 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 He's arbitrating on the last like 
was that part of that production, but I also don't want to quickly take away time and be like, no, he's not in now inside of it. That's the case either. Just ranking it. Ranking it at 16, I feel like it's a little warm of me here, but this is where I would where I would have him as well. I'd probably have him somewhere in the middle of the pack. And if even for Lions fans or people who really believe in Jared Goddard, it's hard to fight for him being that much higher given the context of just the way that his career has gone who his offensive coordinators have been and the context of the seasons in which he has had really good years is that how much of that is golf versus the product of kind of where he is at the time so i'd have really i'd have had him in the same spot i i don't know if it would be been exactly 16 but it would have been somewhere around this area your, uh, your connection went on a wild journey there. You were sounding like that Miley Cyrus meme, you know, where she sounds like a crocodile talking about the journey or something. That, that's, that's how most of that answer sounded to us. Uh, but it seems like it's well, that makes that Well, that makes, that makes sense for Jared Goff. You know, it's, <laughs> it's all about the journey. It's just it, the journey itself is, is what we're here it's for. It's all so. about the journey. Um, let's see. What other rankings or what other specific spots that I get any kind of major pushback for? I thought, so the middle group I found very <laughs> difficult to rank generally. Deshaun Watson at 13th. I have no clue where you put Deshaun Watson in these rankings based off the last full season we saw from him. He had a 90 grade. He was up there with that top tier of quarterbacks. And then last season, once he got on the field, he was hot garbage, almost start to finish. So you can rank him anywhere. He Like throw a dart anywhere from like five to 28 and you're in a reasonable spot for Deshaun Watson I could buy any outcome for him um Geno Smith less extreme but same kind of idea right had this incredible season almost out of nowhere uh his previous career baseline was way lower than that what do we think that's going to look like next season even when you look at his performance last year his grade was really heavily leaning on three or four outstanding games and then it sort of dropped off over the course of the season don't really have a good feel on where Jared or where uh, Geno Smith is going to end up. And then Justin Fields, um, still bad as a passer, but one of the most dynamic rushing yeah. threats in the entire NFL. And of course, he had no help last season in this you know world of you need context. He had a pretty bad offensive line and had nobody to throw to. So of course, he was going to look bad as a passing quarterback. But now that he has DJ Moore and improved offense, what is he going to look like next year? Those three I found very difficult to slot. Yeah, and again, I, I think that we'll do. First of all, do I still sound like a robot, or is no, it no, you're better? good now. The no chat, more Miley Cyrus. I, I was listening. I was reading the chat, and you guys are funny. Somebody said that I sounded like I was talking in front of a fan, which uh, who didn't do that as a child to sound cool, you know? So I'm just continuing here in my uh, in my adult life. I, I think that you, again, you have these guys tiered i would say appropriately right i think that a lot of these guys are in the same bucket geno smith jared goff daniel jones justin fields like those guys are all in the same relative area and if you flip the order it looks way different right if you would have say had justin fields if you would have flipped all that and had justin fields at like 14 or 15 that's different than him being at 18 but in reality you'd probably explain this to somebody the way that you just did where you go okay well there's some unknown with these players. There's things to like about these players. And we just don't have all the answers yet. And I think that's an important part of our job that does not get talked about or 
used enough is like sometimes we just don't have all of the data. We don't have the complete sample size to make a 100% definitive statement of like, yes, this guy's going to be better moving forward. Yes, this guy's going to be worse moving forward. These are all players that for the situations that they've been in, I enjoyed watching Daniel Jones felt like for the first time in his career last year. Well, Brian Dable was his head coach. I think that's a massive reason for that. Is that going to continue? Geno Smith, obviously what he was able to do last year coming out of nowhere as a Cinderella story. You mentioned the context with Justin Fields. I think it's going to get better this year. Does that automatically mean that he's going to get better as a passer? We'll see. I've got faith in that because he was he was a much more comfortable passer at Ohio State than he is right now. Right. And I think that reading the field, having that confidence between his reads like that is something that is missing more than like arm talent or timing. Like, I think that stuff will come as long as he has confidence in what he is seeing. And he, he was able to do that at Ohio State. He wasn't just this Russian quarterback at Ohio State. He could read the field. He could go through things. He could fire it deep. He could hit timing routes. And so I got faith that that gets a little bit better, too. And um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the way that I, I echo a lot of what you said with that group of quarterbacks. It's tough exactly what to say the future of them is, but um, there's enough reason to say all four of those guys are on the up. All right, I want to move over to your running back rankings now to uh, to end the show. I think similar okay. story in terms of I think at the top, it's actually relatively uh, straightforward and, and reasonably set. Uh, Nick Chubb, I think at this point, given the the recent history of Derrick Henry, has to be the number one back in the NFL almost by default. But Henry, the, the, the track record, what he's done is is strong enough that he stays up there. And then Christian McCaffrey, I think, has to form that that one, two, three. Yeah, it's it, for me, <laughs> you know, we talk about how the return on investment or the differentiating factors between running backs is is small. So you could almost make this a, a one through five. Like you could almost throw in Josh Jacobs and what he's been able to do over the last two years. Certainly last year is the rushing champion. Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. I, I mean, okay, it's a down year for Jonathan Taylor, but it was the first year that he didn't rush for over a thousand yards since I think his freshman year in high school. So like this dude just been an unbelievably productive back, no matter where he has been high school, college, or the NFL. And I think that that certainly goes into it. The, the, the more he's going to be healthy, the more he's going to play. We're going to talk about him similarly, the way that we talk about, I think these top backs. So that's why you get him in a top five. It was funny looking up Derrick Henry's numbers because yeah, I, I wrote this in the article if you asked any non-Tennessee Titans fans, so somebody who wasn't really paying attention to what the Titans were doing and what was going on there, about Derrick Henry last year, I think most people would tell you, I mean, yeah, it was a down year for Derrick Henry. Yeah, 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 it was a down year. He, all he had was over 1,500 rushing yards, <laughs> 13 rushing touchdowns, and another career rushing average above what in uh, and, and, and 86. So he's he's even Derrick Henry's worst years yeah. are basically career years four other running backs in the NFL. Right. And because of that, he, he can't not be a top three at the very worst back um, in the NFL. And so that's why I kind of came to the order that I did with, with those two guys, Chubb and Henry, those guys have so much more control of the dominance that they have on the ground than McCaffrey does. So McCaffrey elite receiver, but he's just not that same type of running back that these other guys are. And I think that that matters for this. Yeah. I mean, Derek Henry had over 1200 yards after contact last year. Like his, his yards after contact is a career year for a lot of running backs. It's, it's genuinely ridiculous. Um, How much did you factor in for these rankings or how difficult was it to factor in situation? 
because the one name outside of that top three that I, I think deserves probably to be put in there is Jonathan Taylor in that I don't think last year Jonathan Taylor got worse. I think the situation around him drove off a cliff and what went from being, you know, league leading running back went to way behind that because the situation just completely fell apart. Yeah. It, they, again, it was it was one of those situations where it was really tough to rank these top five guys. It really was. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm looking back over the rankings. And um, yesterday before I submitted the article and I'm like, God, can I have Josh Jacobs at four? And then you you look at the names above them and you go, okay, it's Christian McCaffrey, it's Derrick Henry, and it's Nick Chubb. So, yes, that is possible. And I think that it's the same thing with Jonathan Taylor. I agree with you 100%. I don't think Jonathan Taylor got worse last year. It's not like, oh, here was the regression we were waiting for for him. The offensive line, unfortunately, we know that even the most talented backs out there are a product of the guys in front of them. You know, Henry being able to make up for that the way that he has is the reason why I have him as number two on this list, just because he's been unbelievable in that regard. McCaffrey's kind of the same way, because even if the offensive line isn't great, we saw this in Carolina. He affects the game so well as a receiver that you can almost... Uh, you can almost navigate beyond some of those offensive line struggles because of what he can still give you out of the backfield in the passing game. So ultimately, I think Nick Chubb's the best running back in the NFL. I think Derrick Henry makes up for an offensive line in the ground game better than any running back in the league. And Christian McCaffrey does that from a pass game standpoint better than any running back in the league. And then Josh Jacobs, what he's been able to do over the last two years, especially winning the rushing title last year. That's why I ended up having him at four. So it's no slight to Jonathan Taylor with him being ranked at number five amongst these guys. But that's how I came to the ranking that I did uh, to get to that point. So I've been a huge Tony Pollard fan basically since he's been in the NFL, have been pushing for him to get that starting job in Dallas over Zeke, again, basically for the entirety of the time that he's been there. And yet you have come out here hot with a Tony Pollard ranking eighth, which puts him above Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Brees Hall, Alvin Kamara, like a bunch of legit running backs. Um, yeah. Justify yourself, Trev. Dude, I mean – it's not just it, it just feels like every time the Cowboys give him a little bit more, he continues to prove that he can sustain elite level play because we see that all the time for running backs, right? We, we get guys who are RB2 or RB3 in committees and they don't get a ton of action or they're just specialized in when they get their carries, when they get their targets, and they look great, right? They have these high PFF grades and we go, wow, give that guy the ball more. But then when you give him a high running back load, when you actually give him a full workload, that efficiency goes down and those grades right. go down and he's not as good outside of those specialized or streamlined situations. It feels as though, and the numbers back this up, the more the Cowboys have just simply turned to Tony Pollard as their guy out of the backfield, the more he has continued to show that that investment is worth it. Um, the stats that I have here, 91.0 rushing grade across the past two seasons, ranks fourth in the NFL amongst all running backs. And one of the running backs that's ahead of him is, is uh, A.J. Dillon from Green Bay, who has a really high PFF rushing grade because he is one of those streamlined players. Like They use A.J. Dillon in the situations in which A.J. Dillon's skill set is going to be maximized. So if you take D Dillon away from, efficient, from just uh, a situational football, Tony Pollard's been a top three graded back in the NFL over the last couple of seasons, and that's with more carries, that's with opportunities, has the highest yards per carry figure in the NFL at 5.3, second highest yards after contact 
at 3.7. So that's why, I look, Austin Eckler's one hell of a running back, and I think that Dalvin Cook is getting a little too much hate right now. You know, people have had yeah. him way outside of the top 10 just because of what's going on in Minnesota. He had a little bit of a down year last year, efficiency-wise. They're talking about cutting him. Dalvin's still one of the best backs in the NFL, especially from a pure rushing standpoint. So for me to put Pollard that high is more faith in Pollard and how impressed I am with Tony Pollard than it is not having faith in the guys below him. And I think that that's just an ode to how good he's been. The uh, very few things frustrate me more than teams not trying to find the balance point between when those guys that are dominating in small sample sizes when is the like when does the drop off come when does the diminishing return start to kick in rather than just being like oh well he's doing really well in this limited role so let's leave the limited role as it is and not try and improve the return right like whether it's running backs whether it's receivers in a gimmick spot whether it's situational pass rushers when a guy is crushing it in a small sample size or a limited situational role at, like you shouldn't just default to this idea of well he would never survive in a in a in a bigger expanded role right we can't increase his workload because then we wouldn't get the kind of return well find out where that point is right can you increase his workload by 25% and not see a drop off because if you can and you don't then you're just leaving production on the table um mm. and also sometimes these guys that you think might only be situational players are actually just dominant football players and if you gave them a full workload, it wouldn't suffer any kind of drop-off. So the, the steadfast refusal sometimes of teams to ever explore where that line is drives me insane, and that feels a lot like what the Cowboys have done with Tony Pollard over the last few years. It's obviously complicated by the fact that they had that contract you know, with Zeke Elliott, and they were sort of stuck with that and couldn't net well, right. they could, but right. would have been more complicated to increase Pollard's workload than simply than it would have been without Zeke Elliott there. But it's such a frustrating trait that some teams have sometimes to just be like happy with the guy crushing it in a situational role. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with with. I wish teams would ramp it up a little bit more with guys who um, seem to either be running harder, running faster, like whatever it is, because it, it just across the league we don't get a ton of that. So um, yeah. Oh, also, I just read this in the chat. I was looking over in the chat. Somebody mentioned that you had rookies on your quarterback ranking mm. list. I don't have rookies on my running back list. Right. And no, Sam Sam was doing a like top 32 for the starting 32 quarterbacks in the NFL, which right. include rookies. So that made a lot of sense. Mine, I just said, I'm not doing running backs at all. Like Bijan probably would have been on this list, but there have been so many times that we have thought a guy was going to come in without question, light the world on fire, be incredible, and it's just it it doesn't happen. So, uh, out of respect for the jump that it takes to go from college to the NFL, I just didn't I just didn't have any rookies on this list out of principle. Yeah, so. you you took the coward's way out, and that's okay. That's fine. Of course, I took the coward's way out. Yes, yes. So uh, let's turn it over to you. Which were the after those guys we've already talked about? Who were the difficult players to rank in your rankings? All right, who are the most difficult players? Um, I think Alvin Kamara was kind of tough for me because I'm I'm on the higher side with Alvin Kamara. It seems like so I, again, it came it, in at thirteen. It, it, it just feels as though people are super down on Kamara because 
the last two years he has had he has not had the production um especially in the passing game that has been similar to years past but yeah i write this in the article drew Brees isn't his quarterback anymore sean payton's not his head coach anymore you can't expect him to have that same kind of output it's just not the same offense when you look at some of his um kind of efficient st- stats even in the passing game he's still right there with when they get him the ball he's still no, he's not having like career high years, but he's still pretty damn effective. And for what Kamara can do in both the run and pass game, he had to be a top 15 back still in the NFL. And, and I still have faith that that's the case. So I feel like Kamara has been all over the place, but um, him being a 13 was kind of tough because it's like, all right, well, part of me feels like he could be even higher. Some some of me thinks he could be even lower. So I ended up on 13. What do you think? Um, Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I might have given him even more of a benefit of the doubt than you have and bumped him up a couple of spots. But I think your general point is correct, which is Kamara right now is is copping the bad end of that um, supporting cast structure, right? Whether it's just the entire mm-hmm. situation around him. And he probably caught the good end of it for most of his career before that, right? Sean Payton and Drew Brees are going to give any running back in the NFL an optimal situation to work from. And if you look back in you know, New Orleans Saints running back history – they've been able to produce some extremely good performances out of running backs that were not expected to be amazing. Like Pierre Thomas was an incredible running back in that offense. And the fact that Sean Payton and Drew Brees were there is almost certainly not coincidental to that fact. Like I think Pierre Thomas was a really good running back, but does he do what he did for New Orleans somewhere else? That's, you know, a random situation that didn't have those two guys. Probably not. Um, But I think Kamara is still, you know, an incredibly talented guy who's capable of having a dominant season in the right situation. The Saints just don't necessarily have that right now. Yeah. Two other ones that were particularly tough for me. One of them is J.K. Dobbins. I, I don't I don't know what to do with Dobbins because his stats are awesome. If you look at his rookie season, he averaged six yards a carry in that backfield, which was super impressive. Then he tore his ACL. Right. and missed all of the 2021 season comes back last year only plays in eight games but he still averaged 5.7 yards per carry and i think that goes a little bit into baltimore's philosophy and and how much they are committed to being really good on the ground especially with what lamar can do as a rushing threat as well so i do take that into account a little bit but it's hard to deny those high yards per carry attempts for dobbins i have him 18 on this list and if you just look at those efficiency numbers of what he's giving you per carry you probably have him a little bit higher on this list but something that was really holding me back is when i went back and i watched a lot of his carries earlier this week the way he runs is different post knee injury and that sucks because I don't know if it's him not necessarily having as much faith in his knee, if it's something where his 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 running motion it just isn't going to be what it used to be when it was at Ohio State pre-knee injury. I don't know. So he was super tough because I have a ton of faith in him. I think he's a really talented running back. I just don't know what his ceiling is still after that knee injury. I, I really don't. No, I agree. That's the really interesting thing about him is he averaged 5.7 yards per carry last year whilst looking like he was limping while he was running. Like he, right, he looked right. shot, and yet he was still averaging 5.7 yards per, per carry. Like he's going to be a fascinating example of a guy who 
may well never be the same player he was before, but is relying on other traits. Like I think what we saw last year to a large degree is forget his physical ability was how good he is at seeing the right hole, hitting the right, you know, the vision aspect of playing running back and the feel for how the position works as opposed to just relying on being incredibly uh, explosive, you know, having great speed, all those kinds of things. Um, so I think we're going to sort of see how important one of those elements is if he doesn't take another step this year and kind of get closer to what he was before that injury. Because I think his injury, it wasn't just the ACL, right? He did like the the three big ligaments. Like he did everything, essentially. Yeah, I think it was. Right. He's yeah. got, he had the injury that Javante Williams has now, right? Which is he tore the, a, the ACL, the PCL, and the MCL, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which I makes... Know, I, I would have to look that up to make sure. Oh, the other one, the other guy, and Walt's yelling about this in the chat, and it makes sense. Miles Sanders at twenty three. I I had a really tough time placing Miles Sanders in this group because mm-hmm. there were times when I'm going through the exercises. You're doing first draft, you're doing second draft, you're looking different stats up for different guys. You're moving them up and down all over the place. There were a couple of times where I had him like in the top twenty, and I I ended up settling at twenty three for him. And the reason is because. Career year last year, incredible season. Uh, Eagles offensive lines just playing one of the best in the NFL. Yeah. He had, hold on, let me make sure that I have this right. He had over 1,200 rushing yards, 781 yards after contract contact, which is impressive. And he had 34 explosive runs. Like all of those were career highs for Miles Sanders. So it was awesome to see. And if, if you want to believe that his arrow was on the up, you've got that evidence to point to it being a lot higher. But he also had the third most rushing yards in the NFL before contact. Now, I I go on to say that that's not just him being a product of his offensive line. Sometimes great vision from a running back can allow you to accumulate more yards before you run into contact. So that's certainly a thing as well. But I just... I, I was torn on what Miles Sanders is outside of that Philadelphia Eagles offense with all of those threats in the passing game, including the tight ends, the threat that Jalen Hurts is, the strength of that offensive line is one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Sanders now out of Philadelphia, I think we're going to get a lot better look at exactly what he can be as an individual talent. And if he has another year where he's, again, incredibly productive, yards per carry average is above four and a half again, yards after contact remains high, then he's shooting up this list. I'm probably going to have him top 15, close to 15, whatever it is. But I'm just, I was a little hesitant to put him a lot higher on here, given the situation that he played in felt so perfect for a running back this past year. So I'm going to finish this off with a question that you have to answer having the last time I did the running back rankings, I had exactly the same question. And this came from the chat. Dark Brown was essentially saying, explain not having DeAndre Swift in your top 32 running back rankings, which is exactly the same question I got when I did my running back rankings a year or two ago and did not have DeAndre Swift in the top 32 running backs in the NFL. So two people working completely independently have come to exactly the same conclusion that DeAndre Swift is simply not a top 32 running back in the NFL. I think he's close. You know, like he was one of the guys that that I debated getting in here at 31, 32. I, I just ultimately landed on more productive backs over the last couple of years, more efficient backs over the last couple of years, or guys who, you know, like I've got AJ Dillon lower in this list as at a spot where I don't know, you, you might've been able to put 
DeAndre Swift, but because of how good AJ Dillon has been in a streamlined situation, it's hard to really take that away from him. So he was somebody who I considered here. I'm just, I've never been overly impressed with DeAndre Swift to put him like for sure in a top 32 category. And there are a couple of other backs, um, especially ones that I have a little bit lower, like, uh, let me see, like Ezekiel Elliott, for example. Somebody might be like, oh, like how in the world can you have Zeke Elliott in here and not a guy like DeAndre Swift? Or maybe the same thing with David Montgomery. Like, oh, like David Montgomery, DeAndre Swift's more talented, he's younger, the, the arrow's pointing further up on him. I'll throw A.J. Dillon into that as well. A.J. Dillon and Ezekiel Elliott have the lowest stuff rate in the NFL over the last two years. And the stuff rate is rushes that go for either no gain or negative yards. Those two guys have the lowest percentage of their carries in which that is the case. And I just feel as though that intelligence, that consistency, that floor, if you will, with those guys still put their ability ahead of a player who I feel like is really boomer bust um, like Swift is. So there were just a handful of little things about each of those guys that snuck into the top 32 that I liked to boast more than I did what I've seen from DeAndre Swift. I, I think that the reason that he's very boomer bust is he's almost he relies almost exclusively on the athletic, the physical t- traits, and he's not actually good at the stuff that we just praise J.K. Dobbins for, the vision aspect of playing running back. So when you watch him, he's going to look great because he's as athletic, he's as sort of physically talented with the ball in his hands as, as almost any running back in the NFL – but it's just not good at seeing it correctly. Doesn't off or doesn't right. hit the, the right. right hole a lot of the time. Often tries to bounce away from where he should be hitting to try and make something else happen. Just isn't good at that whole aspect. So if he got the injury J.K. Dobbins had and came back looking the same way physically as Dobbins does, he would not be averaging 5.7 yards per carry. He would be averaging like three yards per carry, and we would be saying DeAndre, DeAndre Swift is done in the NFL because he doesn't have that element of his game. And look, I mean, the Eagles traded, what, a, a 2024 fourth-round pick or something for him? Like, mm-hmm. I don't—the league does not necessarily think that he's that good. This, right. this was not a case of, right. like, Philadelphia somehow lucking into the steal of the century, and he might look great behind that offensive line that you talked about next season. So, you know, this might—the production next year might not necessarily back up this argument, but— like, this is a player that the Lions were happy enough to let leave, you know, because of yes, those deficiencies. clearly, clearly. Yep, I agree. Uh, so the bottom line is, as talented physically as DeAndre Swift is, he's not a top 32 back in the NFL, as certified multiple years in a row by both you and me, which is all we need, frankly, in this mm-hmm. podcast. Vision's the most important trait for running backs, and I'm not so sure. Right, DeAndre Swift has that. Certainly a huge part of it. Um, Okay, that'll wrap it up for us. You can head to those rankings uh, all the way on pff.com. We were showing them through the course of the show, but if you're listening, you can read the the breakdowns for each one of those and all of the other uh, all of the other position rankings that we've done. We've got wide receiver rankings uh, and a bunch of other stuff as well. Um, The poll that we ran in this chat, by the way, for which roster Mm -hmm. expansion draft roster was better, fifty four percent. For Team Sam, for the London Monarchs, 54% versus Steve's miserable uh, a- a effort for the North Reading Hornets. So that's two 
official endorsements for my roster being better. I'm happy enough with that. I'm declaring victory. We're stopping the count right now. That's all I need. Um, we'll be back next week. I doubt we'll be back on Monday since it's uh, Memorial Day, right? And we haven't actually arranged to have a podcast for Monday. So my, my gut feeling is we'll be back on Tuesday, but we'll talk to you all there. Thank you so much for showing up, Trevor. Your, uh, your mm-hmm. insight and company has been a pleasure. And we'll uh, talk to you all next week.